Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmel, the first captain of this podcast, chapter master of the VT streamers, and inquiry to the Primarch, here to lead a bloody assault upon unsportsmanlike players and meta chasers. As always, I am joined by my good friend and 40K mentor, the founder of Vanguard Tactics, just back from San Francisco in the Bay Area Open, where he placed third overall and won the Renaissance Man Award, the Primarch of Vanguard Tactics, the sanguineous to my Ralderon, Mr. Steven Box. Steve, how's the jet lag? Dave, I actually got this reference. <laughs> yeah, for once, I was excited because I knew this one he will get. I know it. I love it. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I can, I'll be sanguineous for today. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, probably. Dude, you were sanguineous all friggin' weekend. So I think you can, you can go ahead and raise that banner, uh, uh good and long. Better than being Margaret Thatcher from the other week, whenever it was. <laughs> don't, don't hang on, hit on Maggie, man. Come on. Anyway. So the jet lag. Yeah. The jet lag. How's uh, the jet lags? Uh... Um, yeah. So obviously flew to San Francisco um, long, like 11 hour flight or whatever it was. I think over the course of the week I was in San Francisco, I averaged four hours of sleep a night. Um, I was up every day at 4am, just like wide awake because obviously in, in here in the UK, that would have roughly been around, I don't know, like 11am, I think yeah, yeah, even later maybe. So, yeah. um, yeah. And then obviously traveled back and then this morning, um, I was up at 3am. I was like, great, this is brilliant. So now I only just adjusted to one time zone. I got back here and I'm now back over in San Francisco time zone. So anyway, my body yeah. clock is all over the place. I'm exhausted, but we have to do this podcast, Dave. Oh, I know. We, we've got so much to catch up. We still need to do part two of Imperial Nights. Ladies and gentlemen, we will get to that. That's going to be next week. For this week, though, Bay Area Open was such a massive shakeup on so many levels. We got to talk about all of that. Uh, but first, uh, as always, we got to acknowledge uh, Siege Studios uh, for being our, our ever-present and amazing sponsor. Yes, absolutely. And also talking to Siege, you can, I mean, it's going to be a little bit maybe late now because they're recording this, but myself and James from Siege are going to be at UK Games Expo all weekend. So hopefully we can report back on how that went this week. So uh, from all of you that went to UK Games Expo, I hope you had an awesome time. Um, and if we can get this out before, then maybe we can get it out in time. But yeah, obviously, if, if you are looking to get your models commission painted, do check out C Studios because they are second to none. Yeah, they are absolutely incredible. And any Academy announcements we got to know about? Uh, open enrollment is in process? Yeah. So as of, I'm assuming yesterday of this recording going out, um, you can now sign up for the pre-sale so you can get your tickets the early bird tickets will be available. You just need to head over to www.bangartactics.com and I'm sure there'll be a link on the big front of the webpage where you can check out your academy. And the academy starts, the first official day will be on the 4th of July. So um, yeah, obviously if you get your tickets in early, you might get a little bit of a discount. There's a bit of a thank you from us for your early bird privileges. Awesome. Uh, and uh, well, I got to ask, how did the uh, how did the workshop go at Barrier? Because you you and Mike and Chris did uh, did another workshop. Yeah, uh, how'd that go? The workshop was awesome. Actually, it was absolutely fantastic. I certainly learned um, a lot from doing the first one at the LVO. So I really wanted to make this one a lot better. We had flashcards for people, uh, make writing down their notes as we went through. Uh, but yeah, we looked at everything from player place terrain to how you should deploy their armies, executing a game plan and a mission plan. 
um, and then ultimately making sure that everybody complete their games on time uh, within the allotment that we have. So we did some speed play rounds, uh, but everybody had a fantastic um, event. And also they were checking in with me over the course of the BAO, letting me know how they got on um, and what what worked well for them. So um, again, thank you so much to everybody that did attend the workshop. It was brilliant. And I, and I know myself, Chris and Michael really enjoyed coaching. So yeah, it was awesome. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, now we don't know yet if uh, you're going to come back to do one for Lone Star Open. That's the next. Uh, well, no, there's there's uh, Atlantic City Open is this month. Uh, you're not turning right around and coming back for that one. But um, I, I know we're kind of pushing. I'm pushing for you to come back and do one for Lone Star Open. Um, so we got to uh, ladies and gentlemen, I am I'm uh, I'm now asking you all to initiate a campaign to pressure the hell out of Steve uh, to come back and do one for Lone Star Open, because I think it'd be great uh, if he does another one. Especially because um, if all the rumors are true, and if we just forget rumors, just the simple fact that um, that's what they—that's what GW did last year with in June when they released a new mission pack. If they, you know, keep that same schedule and plan, then we will have another new mission pack dropping sometime this month. And if they do do that, you're gonna want to go to a workshop with Steve to get prepped for whatever changes they make to any new missions and secondaries and such. So uh, hopefully, there, you know, we can work things out. You can come back for. Uh, for Lone Star and do another workshop and help everybody get ready that way. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, and it would be very timely too. So uh, with that, everybody, please uh, like, share, subscribe, give us a five-star review, let us know how we're doing. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, just, you know, throw us, we, we like, the, we like uh, besides having our, our delicate manly ego stroked, uh, we like the fact that you guys uh, let us know where we can improve too. Uh, this week, we actually got a great uh, review from, uh, Rhea808 uh, via Apple Podcasts. Uh, Rhea said, simply the best in the business. This podcast and Steven Box are the only things keeping me in 40K. This podcast is outstanding for anyone getting into or at any point of their 40K journey. Regardless of where you are at in 40K, you learn something and level up from listening to this podcast. Can't recommend it enough. Rhea808, thank you very much. We appreciate that. And that is exactly what we want. We want to not just be the you know only reason you stay in 40K, but we want to, we want everybody to feel like uh, they're learning something from us and that, and that we're here to help you guys level up the game. Uh, if you too would like to leave us a message uh, like Rhea did, uh, you know, leave a comment on your, um, on whatever podcast uh, service you're using, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, Spotify or Apple podcasts, whatever you use. Uh, you can also, um, as always find Steven on Instagram at, at the Vanguard tactics. You can find me on uh, Instagram at, at infantry lawyer. Uh, and don't forget to go to www.vanguardtactics.com to get more information about the Academy and uh, also check out YouTube. Um, there should be, there's no stream game this week, obviously because of jet lag, uh, but there should be another stream game again next week. Uh, I don't know who's, no, uh, what army Dave, taking, there, but, uh, Dave, there will be a stream game this week as of this. Is oh, there's recording. a stream game this week. Yeah, because this will go, uh, go out on Tuesday and then obviously the stream game's on Wednesday. So there will definitely be, and I'll be playing the Blood Angels. The week they were recording, there wasn't a stream game, but this when you hear this, there will be a stream game that. Yeah, and I'll be using Blood Angels. Oh, awesome. Because uh, who you, who's who's the other player? I'm not sure yet. Maybe Jake. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, while Jake is idly rubbing his hands and waiting for squats to come out. Yes. Uh, so, um, so anyway, uh, but yeah, so there will be a stream game. Check out YouTube uh, for all the stream games. Uh, now, speaking of uh, Instagram messages and all that, I actually got a... Uh, question for our rules lawyer segment. I got a great question actually from Accidental Viking. Uh, he's a listener from Australia. Uh, so uh, good day, uh, Accidental Viking. 
uh, he messaged me on Instagram and he had some very, besides some very kind words about the podcast, um, he did ask me how Armor of Contempt applies to Space Wolves, specifically the Blizzard Shield on the Wolf and Dreadnoughts and the Anvil Shield on our Jack Rockfist, uh, one of the special characters. So uh, I, I did some looking at it. You know, my first thought is, well, it's a, it's, it's a shield, dude. It's a shield. So, you know, obviously Armor of Contempt doesn't apply. But I was like, you know what? The guy's not an idiot. He asked me that for some good reason. So I went back and reread everything uh, in uh, the Space World Codex. So um, Gabby actually looked at me funny when I, she was like, Daddy, where are you taking my codex? You don't play Space Wolves. Um, so, uh, but I did my homework on this one and, and Accidental Viking actually has a really good question. So obviously the data slate uh, that came out in April with, that introduced Armor of Contempt, it says, you know, it decreases the armor penetration for uh, incoming weapons um, for anybody that's in a Loyalist or Chaos Marine list or an Adeptus Sororitas Army, except for three conditions. One of them is, the first one is models equipped with a storm shield, a relic shield, or a combat shield, or a relic that replaces one of those shields. And bullet point two says models with either the sacrosanct shield, or force shielding ability, like uh, the Celestine sacrosancts and the Nemesis Dreadnoughts. And then the third bullet point says models that are under the effects of any other rule that worsens or reduces the armored penetration characteristic of an attack. So obviously, like I said, at first blush, you go, oh, Blizzard Shield, Anvil Shield. That's a replacement for a relic or combat shield. But it's not. So if you go back and look, the word just because the word shield is there, it's not enough to kick armor of contempt out of viability. So the first bullet point says storm shield, relic shield, or combat shield, or a relic that replaces one of those. Neither the blizzard shield or the anvil shield replaces any other shield. They're just it's just a, a choice you can get. You can add on the, the blizzard shield to a wolf and dreadnought. And obviously, anvil shield is just a standard piece of war gear that our Jack Rockfist starts with. It's not replacing anything. So that kind of throws that those that bullet point out more importantly though obviously the second bullet point for armor of contempt doesn't matter because this isn't a, an ability like uh like force shielding for for dread knights but that goes to brings to the last point the last bullet point says models under the effect of any rule that worsens or reduces the armor penetration characteristic of an attack that doesn't happen here and also more to the point the blizzard shield and the anvil shield don't actually change the armor save for their respective models Unlike all of those other shields that are listed, combat shields, storm shields, those all give a plus one armor save. The blizzard shield and the anvil shield don't do that. They just confer a invulnerable save on their respective models. So with that being the case, I actually think that armor of contempt would still apply. You would still get the benefit of armor of contempt for a wolf and dreadnought and for a anon Arjak Rockfist. So my, as, as the rules lawyer, my argument would be that Armor of Contempt, they still benefit. What do you think, now that I've laid all that out? Well, I think that was a long way around saying, yes, they do benefit from it. Awesome. But I like it. Again, like you said, the intent really is so that you don't have a shield stack with Armor of Contempt. So obviously, normally a shield of sorts will give you a plus one to your armor save, putting you on potentially even a one-up save. So if our Jack shield, obviously he's in Terminator armor, he would be then get a plus one. So he'd then be on a one-up save. If that then started to um, combine with terrain, so obviously light cover, uh, he would then be on a zero, basically save. And then minus one, you just, you'd have to be like even minus two AP, we'd still be on his two plus save. So um, again, our Jack's fine because he doesn't get a plus one from the storm shield itself. It's just a three-up invan, I believe. 
uh, off the top of my head. And then also yep. um, the the Blizzard Shield on the Wolf and Dreadnought is still a three up Dreadnought anyway. So um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's a fantastic question. Um, and yeah, really, really well thought through. So it's just because it doesn't have the combination stack of armor save and armor of contempt. This is just con- uh, just conveying a four up in Vun. Yeah. So rules as written and rules as intended. Um, those the the Wolf and Dreadnought and Ardrick Rockfist. Uh, the court has ruled that armor of contempt does apply to those models. Accidental Viking, thank you again. That was a great question. It actually worked out really well. It gave it actually gave me something to think about and and uh, and work through. So great question. That's the kind of questions that I want for the rules lawyer segment. So if you have any more or anybody else, please send them into us um, and we will uh, talk them down. And I will again lay out all of my legal arguments talking as fast um, as uh, Adam Camilleri does. So uh, with that, now let's uh, let's talk about BAO. Yes, my friend. What, first off, let's let's just let's just take a moment and acknowledge the fact that at the end of day two, you were the only player that was six and zero. You. As far as general play before they went into the top cut additional rounds, you were the the champion of BAO. You you won. You were the only undefeated player at the end of general play. So, well done. Thank you very much. With Blood Angels, with Blood Angels, which ladies and gentlemen, take your take your meta your Mediterranean lists, take your Leviathans and your Krakens and your Hail of Doom Eldari. No, Blood Angels. Yeah. So the new meta. The new blood, the blood angel meta is here, folks. No, not really, but um, but it, but you you proved that blood angels and other off meta lists can not just do okay, but can prevail and can go undefeated in in general rounds of play. So that's outstanding. Did you did you feel like you were coming into the tournament playing with one hand tied behind your back? Um, I think so. My original idea was that I just want to have a really good fun time with my Blood Angels. Um, I spent ages painting the army. I spent ages painting up like the Assault Centurions that I added into the list. Um, I I repainted Dante. Um, So there's loads of models that I wanted to get on the table. Um, I wanted to, I haven't used Blood Angels since the Armor of Contempt rules came out. And I thought what a fantastic opportunity this would be. Again, when I fly to America, the one only condition that I have is that it travels easily. So I managed to get this entire army into a laptop case. So again, that was one of my travel conditions um, for the army anyway. So again, that was really, really good. Now, I think for me, um, I, I was not, not confident with, the, with how I would do. I was confident playing my army. Um, I've had obviously a lot of repetitions in over the years of Blood Angels. Um, it was kind of like a blast from the past in terms of my army list. So that was great. Um, and I was just really, really excited to actually use them. And I was expecting there to be a lot of knight lists, either Imperial Knight or Chaos Knights. So for me, I always think if you want to do well at a tournament, take the army that beats all the current hotness. Um, so I was expecting a lot of knights. only played knights once. Uh, but that being said, it did exactly what I expected the list to do. Um, so in the end, um, yeah, I don't think I was... Probably um, every game I thought I'm going to lose this one. I'm going to be knocked out. Um, and actually, I was kind of hoping I would be. Um, I was hoping I'd only go maybe four in two because then I wouldn't have to play on the Sunday. And it means I could have explored San Francisco for one more day. But that being said, the BAO uh, event was probably one of the most kind of wholesome, well-organized event I've ever been to. So FLG, kicker, all the referees, 
honestly, it was fantastic to meet so many people and Frontline, you absolutely smashed it out of the park. Yeah, it looked like it was very well organized. Uh, it was funny how every time I watched a stream game, somewhere in the background, I saw a kicker walk by or come by and check in on something or something. So that dude is the hardest working man in 40K. Like he, at, at an event, that dude is working his ass off. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was the same when I was at El, when, when we were at LBO and I, you know, every five minutes I'd turn around, oh, there's kicker again. Yeah. The dude's just constantly running. He needs all that sugary breakfast cereal he lives on. So he's got the energy to run around as much as he does. So, um, no, so, so yeah, well, well done to, to FLG and, and, uh, uh, give kicker a race. Uh, seriously, Reese. Um, all right. So, um, you also, um, well, now you, you, you placed third overall in the event, um, after the day three, um, top cut plays. Um, yeah. and then you also wanted another award. You won the, uh, Renaissance or as you say, Renaissance award. Um, so what, what is the, what is the uh, Renaissance award? The Renaissance award, um, I've been told is awarded to the combination of best general, most sporting and best painted army. So the combination of the trifactor of the hobby, which is exactly what we want to try to promote. Right. So, um, for example, Izzy Sanchez, huge shout out to him, um, or Israel Sanchez. We, we spent a long time. Uh, over the weekend, just catching up on you know, our passion for the hobby and everything. And his Tau army was absolutely stunning. So he won best painted. Now, if um, I think the way things work is you don't often have a situation where you can win one more than one award. So if I'd have won the entire event, uh, I placed first rather than third, um, then I, I believe Izzy may have been in that situation because he had a fantastically painted army and came ninth. Do you see what I mean? So you kind of take a combination of the, uh, those, the, uh, your, your, your points for painting and then also your points and how well you place at the tournament as well. So, um, yeah, I was super humble to win that award. Um, I won it at LVO, uh, to get it again at the BAO, um, is brilliant and it, cause it's not an award that we have here in the UK. So, um, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to take the blood angels cause I've worked so hard on them. Um, and I'm actually working on my second rendition of the Blood Angels army that I'm doing um, using some of the Dawnbreaker uh, models. So I'll put, put up some work in progress pictures on Instagram so you can see how they're coming along because they will be my new Sanguinary Guard. So yeah, ultimately, um, really chuffed with that. Um, also a massive shout out to Michael that came from obviously VT. He came second. So um, yeah, so we had a second place third place of VT, um, and also Jesse, huge congratulations for coming first and winning the event. So should go over my list and then go to some of the games. Uh, yeah. I, and, and the, the, I, I just, I gotta, you know, give the shout out to, uh, to Mike, uh, you know, who is a friend of mine. And also it was, you know, we, we, he and I have talked about his, um, his Hydra list and I loved every time I listened to, to some of the stream game commentaries and stuff, everybody was like, but it's, it's not Leviathan. It's not Kraken. It's not Leviathan. It's not Kraken. Mike, I think was the only person that brought a Tyranid list that wasn't the Leviathan or Kraken lists. You know, the, the two, the two, uh, hotness, two flyer list, the, the meta hotness right now. Instead, Mike brought in that a gorgeously painted, um, Hydra list of his and just, and played the swarm game and got all the way to second place and just knocked out of the park. So dude, Mike, well done, buddy. I can't wait to, uh, to talk about it, you know, on, on stream at some point. Um, but yeah, let's talk about your list now. Uh, you had, uh, you had Dante. Yeah. He's your warlord. So it's a blood angel battalion. Uh, start with nine CPs. 
Um, and yeah, I've got Dante. He's the warlord. He gives me a, an additional CP because he's the warlord. He's also got a nine inch aura through his command abilities and his reroll ranges, which is great. And also leadership buffs. Um, so he's the warlord. Then in the next HQ slot, I've got a sanguinary ancient with a jump pack. He's got the rights of war warlord trait to give it obsec. And then the visage of death relic, which gives him the ability to turn off obsec as well. Uh, so that was awesome. Then I've got two units of incursors and one unit of inter assault intercessors. Uh, one of the sergeants from the incursor unit has been upgraded to have basically a relic called Quake Bolt. So when I hit a unit, uh, an enemy unit, when I fight it in combat, all of my blood angels get plus one to hit against that unit. So I'll tell you how I stack that together later. Um, then I've also got for my elites, I have a sanguinary ancient. He's a character with a jump pack and a banner and his banner is a relic banner, which gives all of my jump pack infantry plus two move. And that's an aura. Um, so that makes my blood angels get move 14 inches. Remember if you're using blood angels, you get plus one attack. Uh, when you're in your, um, savage echoes, your assault doctrine, uh, when you get to turn three, or if you're in basically assault doctrine, because that's something that the sanguinary ancient can give. He can ping that out to uh, units as a command ability. Um, also, for a blood angel, you get plus one to wound on the charge um, or charged in combat. You also get plus one to your advance roll and plus one to your charge roll. So it's quite handy for, you know, getting around the table. And then for the elites as well, I've got three units of seven sanguinary guard, all with swords. Um, I went with the swords because of the extra AP that it has into other armies that have armor of contempt. Um, and then also I have a unit of five death company with jump packs and four thunder hammers in that squad. Then I've got a unit of five assault centurions. Love them. Love assault centurions. To finish yeah. off the list, I've got six assault marines with jump packs, just regular assault marines. So I've got assault intercessors. I've got assault centurions and I've got assault marines. So I've got all the assault. Yes. Yes, it is. It is. A, it is a very assault list and many people also suffered battery from it. So, um, you should just call it the assault and battery list. Um, yeah. the, uh, um, it was funny too. Like, you know, people were like, Oh, he's, he's got assault Marines. Why are they there? I'm like, yeah. because their speed, they've got the same mobility bonus and they can jump around and do, they were, they were scoring uh rod for you. Right. Or R and D. Yeah. They, they're quite good. You know, um, you know, when you get them into the assault doctrine, you're looking at four attacks a model. So one base plus one attack for charging plus another one for charging. Cause it'll be in a blood angel and then one for the um, chainsaw. So that combined with plus one to wound and minus AP two, it's quite a cheap little trading unit. So um, yeah, I often use them for rotting, just jumping out and get me stranglehold. Um, you know, they're really good at tagging models as well to stop them from piling in um, if they have a fight last as well. So they've got a real good sort of utility on the table that I really like or brilliant because it's a six man unit to just drop in and retrieve Nackman data for me. So, um, which was a secondary I took, I think in every game, uh, maybe aside from one or two where I maybe took banners instead. So apart from that, they were, the list has been completely tailored around the secondaries. Um, and obviously this is something that we teach on the Academy. So often I would go for stranglehold, uh, a battlefield supremacy secondary, uh, the army does this incredibly well, having access to um, a lots of core units I can give objective secured to, um, or the actual character itself, the Sanguinary Ancient, can sit um, on an objective surrounded by his five big buddies, um, and he obviously absorbs sec, and then they count as five models 
um, or six models with him on that objective as well. So they're really, really good at defending um, an objective. Um, and if they get too close, he can hurricane intervene and turn off an opponent's obsec if they don't have it. And then I can flip that objective. So uh, stranglehold is a really, really good utility um, secondary that I take. Uh, then the next secondary I take, um, I believe from No Mercy, No Respite is Oath of Moment. That allows me to just stay in the center of the table, um, kill a vehicle, kill a monster, uh, don't fall back. I mean, I don't want to be falling back anyway. I'm a blood angel. I quite like the assault right. phase. Um, and not fail a morale check. And when my banner gives me plus one leadership and Dante gives me plus one leadership, my whole army's leadership 10. So failing a morale check is very, very unlikely. Um, it takes me to lose you know, more than four models to even, or, you know, losing four models from a unit. Um, but even on a six, I pass, it's when I lose a, f a fifth model that I could be in trouble. So again, um, you know, that's really, really important that I kind of, you know, keep those scoring. Um, and then I just need to stay in the center of the table. And again, if I'm taking stranglehold, it's probably something I need to be doing anyway. Um, and then the third secondary is often retrieve Nackman data, which allows me to just to use my mobility, my incursors or my assault incessors to move around. Sorry, my assault incessors in the backfield, the incursors in some of the quarters, and then my assault marines can drop in late game um, and then retrieve Nackman in my opponent's quarter as well. So yeah, that's typically how the army list runs. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and of your initial six games, you maxed out your score Every single time, or I yes. think there was one game where you went, you where you dropped a point on a primary. I think because of one of the weird primary. Um, yeah, um, I scored. Controls. Yeah, I believe so. So, should we go over each round? Yeah, sure. Okay, so round one, I was up against an awesome opponent called Mike. Um, me and Mike had a fantastic game, um, and he was running Chaos Knights. So he was taking Chaos Knights and Demons. Um, he had like a massive bloodletter bomb. Um, some fiends and then obviously three of the big new chaos knights, which was super cool. Um, he was a really, really nice guy, Mike. He had a fantastic game, um, a real joy to play. Um, and I think this is his first tournament or super major. So, um, yeah, it was a very bit of a rough game for Mike using his, um, chaos, uh, chaos knights with my, um, obviously army that does killing knights extremely well with my plus one to wound. Um, and you, you just had the supreme mobility too around his, his list just didn't lean much into mobility. I remember looking at it. Yeah, ex exactly that. And, you know, you obviously had the blood letters in deep strike. Um, he'd have to move out a little bit to sort of take, um, some objectives, um, and became in reach of my death company. So he lost a, I think I went second in that game. He lost a, a night turn one due to the death company getting stuck in. Um, and obviously the, the biggest weakness of Chaos Knights is their uh, melee uh, defense. So that was uh, the first knight taken down. He then countered and killed those death company. Um, and, and I also put a lot of pressure on with the rest of my army. I think then in turn two, he brought down his blood letters. They made a big charge, uh, but I screened out really well with my incursors in all my little kind of troop units. So the only unit he could really attack was my incursors um, and unfortunately failed a eight inch charge. Um, with his Chaos Oof. Knight into my, he he made the Bloodletter charge. He didn't make his Knight charge into my Assault Marines, my uh, Assault um, Centurions. Um, yeah. Whether that would have changed the game, I'm not, I'm not too sure. Um, I think I may have lost a couple probably uh, with what they can typically do. Um, but then what happened then was because he failed the charge, 
Um, my assault centurions turned round and just shot out with all their flamers and hurricane bolters, all the 20 blood letters, um, and then charged the chaos knight that charged me or tried to and killed the chaos knight. So in one turn, they took out 20 blood letters and then the chaos knight. And then I used my violin consolidation to move closer to his next chaos knight. And in the following turn killed that one. So, um, yeah, that, that game was over fairly quickly after the second night was down um, as Mike had, you know, run out of a lot of assets, but what a fantastic opponent. Um, and he took it, you know, the, the game so well in his stride um, said to me, learnt lots. So that's all we can hope for really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now your, uh, your second opponent was um, Eldari. Yeah. So again, really nice opponent. We played against Trent. Um, he had like a hail of doom mixed with, um, I think a mortal wound defense Eldar army. Obviously he'd taken that for the Nid matchup. Um, this one was quite good because I went first and there was a big ruin in the center of the table, which I pushed my army into. Um, and I think it was a five objective mission, believe. So he was under a lot of pressure to try and get me out of the center. Um, unfortunately he charged me, Ooh. I think was the, the biggest mistake. That's probably uh, a poor life choice. Yeah. He charged into the assault centurions with his shining spears and then also a Wraith Lord. Now that allowed me to heroically intervene with my um, Sanguinary Guard. Um, and I believe there was another combat somewhere else, uh, the Death Company, I believe, uh, which he went, uh, so he, he used his Banshees to clear up my Death Company um, because they'd moved on in to kill a, a vehicle or whatnot in some other bits and bobs. But um, I used the, so he fought with the, the Shining Spears into my Sanguinary Guard, killed a couple, but then my assault centurions then spent two CPs to interrupt, pick up the, the Wraith here, uh, the Wraith Knight, uh, not the Wraith Knight, sorry, the Wraith Lord. Um, and then also um, the three shining spears and then use their piling and consolidation to, you know, move across the table. And then I brought one of my guys back, allowing me to gain an extra like kind of four inches of movement, um, which then allowed them to make a charge in, you know, flame and kill the Banshees, the 10 Guardians. They got stuck into combat with a solitaire um, and then the solitaire moved back to then charge me again, at which point I overwatched and killed the solitaire with all the flamers. Um, so the assault centurions were just moving around, just causing havoc in that game as well. I think over the course of that game, they killed, yeah, the Wraith Lord, three Shining Spears, five Banshees, 10 Guardians, um, an Autark, a, sh- a solitaire, a Farseer. That was their kill count for that game. We'll talk about your final kill count on the Assault Centurions, but they, they're so, having used them when, uh, with my Imperial Fist list last year, Assault Centurions are so good defending against Overwatch. Yeah. It is one of their great strengths is sticking them in cover and to hold an objective and just saying, come charge me. Yeah. And they, oh, they smash Knights so hard because with the Quake Bolt oh, yeah. combination, because they don't have core, I don't get any benefits for rerolls, but I can get right. them the benefits of Quake Bolts. Um, and so if I do hit, I can hit a unit on twos in combat. And then I think they get like five attacks each by the time I get to my main doctrine. So there's like five attacks each. You're looking at 30 attacks or 31 attacks hitting on twos. They wound everything on twos. And then I think they're yeah. minus four or five AP, something like that. It, it normally doesn't matter to the point they've ever got an invun save or they don't have a save at that point. Um, so they're, they're very, very strong into those matchups. Um, anything with, you know, high resilience they're really good at killing um so yeah it's really 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 good game me and trent we spent you know we had a drink after spent a long time chatting about the game the community sportsmanship in 
uh, we, we had a fantastic time. So uh, yeah, it was a really good game. Cool. And uh, round three was your first Tyranid opponent. Yeah, Will. Um, so this was, I was, I was definitely feeling the effects here. So I remember now, I think I said to Will, you're going to have to bear with me because I think it's like 3 a.m. my time by the time we were playing this. Uh, so my body clock was extremely tired by this point. And Will put the pressure on. He came at me in full force. Um, now, one thing I did have on my Sangrony Ancient, which I forgot to say, is ability called a, a Warlord trait called Soul Warden. Soul Warden gives my army a 5 plus Phil No Pain Aura. Uh, against mortal wounds. So that's really good against his double malaceptors, um, his neurophrobes and all the other smite shenanigans that his army had. Um, but what Will had done was he'd used the walls, these big old walls that FLG have to try and move block me. The unfortunate thing is he kind of move blocked himself more than he actually move blocked me. No. Because he threw his army forward into the middle to try and counter the center of the table. Um, but by doing so had then given me easy charges, but then really hard for him to actually move through those gaps where he had moved blocked himself and I can fly and he can't. So, um, it, it, one of the biggest assets to this game was the terrain layout and terrain placement. Um, and I, you know, I certainly had a good upper hand in that game, I believe of, you know, where I placed the terrain. So that worked really, really well, um, in this game, but what a fierce list in what a great guy. We had an awesome game. Um, he said to me, I, I think I know where my mistake is. And I certainly capitalized on a couple of little positioning mistakes he had made in the combat phase. But obviously that's kind of what, that's my back. That's my jam, right? Is combat. So, you, you know, yeah. looking at the positioning is crucial. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and then, so day, that was the end of day one, day two, what was your first round day, day two? So day two, um, I was up against Anthony. Uh, this was games on stream. He had the Halo Doom list. Uh, Hail of Doom, Masterful Shot, so no cover, so most of his army's AP minus four. Um, he had the Webway Gate as well. Um, lots of, dire, I think like 30 odd Dire Avengers. But Anthony was a fantastic opponent. He was really, really nice to play. Um, he's, a, he's a good friend of Logan's who uh, um, used to coach for us here at VT and, you know, stand-up guy. And he's part of their team now, which they formed um, in California. So that's awesome to play against a friend of a friend. Um, but yeah, we had a really, really nice game. Um, Anthony, I think, put too much in reserve because he really wanted to use his webway gate and get the most out of that. I, if I remember, I watched the first half of the stream game and he, he had, what, three squads of Dire Avengers and some Banshees that he put in reserve. Yeah, and this is an interesting one because it was abandoned sanctuary, so you can't pregame move. So I couldn't fall on Fury, my death company. Um, but they did allow him to set up the webway gate in No Man's Land on this mission. Okay. Um, so I don't know... Um, that, that was the ruling for the event. I wasn't sure if that should have been the ruling, but oh, hey, just go with it, right? If the, if the ref says something, you just go with it. So um, yeah, there was no, not, not a problem. Um, so yeah, he plays a lot in strat reserve. Um, and then I saw my opportunity. I went first and I just moved everything straight into the middle of the table because I've got one chance to kill this army before it kills me. Um, and if I don't, if I stand back, um, I'm going to get shot and I'm going to get repeatedly get shot. To before it's too late. Whereas with this strategy I went for, I was willing to lose units, but I knew whatever I had left could really capitalize on uh, the mission. So Anthony, I think, killed like an entire unit of Sanguinary Guard without even blinking with what he had on the table. Um, and then also chipped off, I think probably to his demise, one of my Assault Centurions because the Apothecary can bring them back. So again, gives me extra movement. 
Um, so in this game then, turn two, I was in a situation where I was making lots of lots of charges. I had my charges on ev you know, every single flank and every single unit was basically charged that turn. Um, and we had a really interesting moment um, where I'd shot all the assault centurions into a unit of bikes um, and I killed the unit of bikes. It was like a unit of nine um, wind riders. But I already had a charge ready to go on them through the death company. And I had a unit of incursors ready to charge that unit to soak up any overwatch. Uh, but yeah, I killed them in shooting. Um, and literally as he realized he pulled the last model off or we'd moved on. Actually, that was it. We moved on to another shooting phase uh, in terms of me declaring my sanguinary guard into some guardians. He realized that he hadn't used fortune on his, um, which is a power he actually cast for a five plus phono pain on those wind riders. Um, and he said, oh, I forgot to use you know, fortune. And I, you know, Anthony was such a nice guy. I said to him, look, do you want to roll it out? Do you want to see what you save? Um, and so I, we, I said, the only thing I would like is to be able to shoot my sanguinary guard again, if that's okay. And I'll declare a different target because I'll keep shooting that unit. And he was of course said, yeah, yeah, fine. So we rolled it out and I've never seen somebody roll so many five up Phil No Baines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember I saw him, he put like three or four bikes back on the table because of that. Yeah. It was, I, I was like, wow. Well, that, that that shows me right for being a good sport. Anyway, but um, obviously the death company went in and you know kind of sorted them out anyway. But it was a, a much right. nicer interaction because he that the issue was if I wouldn't have let that happen, then it was a, such a big moment anyway in the game. He had felt really bad. He had forgot. Um, so I wanted him to make sure that he had, you know, he he'd used all the abilities and powers that he actually attempted to cast. Um, and, the, and obviously those dice should have been rolled out. So it wouldn't have changed the game state anyway. Um, and I had the backup unit regardless. So it's just nice to be able to, to do that. And then we had a really inter interesting re uh, interaction about how the actual webway gate works and where you can place his models, um, which, which was good to get some re referee clarification on as well. But again, I'd love a, an, an FAQ to come out on this clearly defining exactly where you can place your models uh, within or around the webway gate would be really, really nice in the future. So, but yeah, we finished that game because um, I put so much pressure on. Again, the Assault Centurions did a wonderful job for me in that game. Um, and uh, yeah, just absolutely incredible unit. All right, cool. Um, and then just for, I, because this is such a popular thing and I keep forgetting what it is, please remind me and everybody else listening, what does Hail of Doom do? It's something to do with Shuriken Catapults. Yes. So Halo do means when you roll a six to hit, it also counts as a six to wound, um, which means for craft world or shuriken weapons, it means that they gain plus two AP on their weapons. So shuriken catapults go from minus one to minus three. Um, and then also the Dire Avenger ones, this is the crucial one, goes from minus two to minus four. Um, and, and that's exactly what this army does. So what, what happens is you put guide on the unit, you roll out your 30 shots from Dire Avengers, anything that's not a six, you pick up and re-roll all the sixes that you hit with move to one side, um, because they wound and count as minus four AP. Uh, there's also a strat for exploding sixes. So all of those sixes then proc new hits. So then you re uh, pick up all the dice for doom, um, or with doom as well. So you pick up all the dice, roll out all your wound rolls. Anything that's not a six, you re-roll it for more sixes. So all your sixes are minus four AP and they ignore cover. It's very, very strong. Um, yeah. yeah, especially against Armor of Contempt and some of the, the tougher uh, Nid monsters. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, because I built the list around, even if I play Eldar, 
Um, it, you know, it minus four AP when it does come up, at least I'm on a zero plus save starting, um, on with the assault centurions, including the, you know, armor of contempt. So that puts me on a four up save, but with this list, cause it ignores cover. That means my whole army's on a five plus save. And then, so then the next round you played, uh, Quinn's. Yeah. So this was against trainer. Um, uh, he had light Quinn's, um, and the, the army he had was beautiful. It really was really well painted. Um, again, um, he, he'd said he was a big fan of some of the lists that I've written for sisters and stuff. And he just likes my all out assault kind of armies. So uh, again, uh, he, he went first in this game. Um, or I can't remember if I did or he did now, actually. Yeah, I can't remember who went first. Um, but basically there was a turn where I was kind of in the middle of the table. Um, and he literally surrounded my entire army with his and just shot absolutely everything. The picture, I couldn't even get it into one shot. I had to widescreen it. Um, and because I had cover and all the shurikens, he did kill a lot, but, um, didn't kill enough really. Um, and then all of a sudden I made a charge on every single unit and my assault centurions went crazy. They went flaming away and, um, killed loads of stuff again, killed a unit of bikes, unit of, uh, sanguinary guard, killed a unit of bikes. Um, and then, uh, trainer, unfortunately ran out of a lot of assets then at that point, but did score really, really well. Um, nonetheless, he did score 67. We didn't, we didn't talk about the points in the other games. Uh, round one, uh, it was 97, 36 round two was 97, 26 round three was 97, 59 against will that was with the nids. Uh, Anthony, uh, I scored, uh, 98, uh, Anthony scored 47 and that round trainer, uh, got, uh, I scored 97 again. He scored 67. So he did score very, very well using his list and it was lots of boats, units of troops with obsec and stuff. So he did really well with that list. What was the secondary that you took against Anthony that was different because everything else, I know you were pretty much take, you were, you were maxing out at 97. That one, you got 98. What was the different secondary? I didn't take Rod in that game, uh, or retrieve that one data. Sorry. I believe I took a ball, the witch. Oh, okay. So it allowed me to score one extra point. Okay. Got it. Cause he, his army capped out at 13 on a ball, the witch. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Cause he had all the, he had a couple of farseers and some warlocks and stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then round six, you were against Tyler and another Kraken list. Yeah. So Kraken nids again. Um, so very similar to Will's list, I would say, uh, one Maliceptor death leaper was in there. Um, loads of those pyrovore thingies are horrendous. So, um, turn one, uh, I went first, um, and he was kind of worried about my death company. So, you know, put his army quite, uh, towards the back of the board, but Kraken's got incredible movement. So he can sort of pick the fights where he wants, especially with those ravages in warriors, which were just absolutely everywhere. So, um, I kind of threw away my death company in hindsight a little bit too early. I wasn't sure if I should, I probably knew I shouldn't have, to be honest, but I was like, you know, it's round five, uh, sorry, it's round six. Um, and I think Chris had tallied it up and basically told me, providing I get my painted points, I make the top eight, even if I lose the game. So I was like, let's just have some fun then. Um, so I threw the death company away for a move block, killed a unit of pyrovores, uh, and then basically, you know, just move block the hive guard. Um, so from getting too close and then they, and then also then the, uh, the death company would then soak up any Maliceptor mortal wounds as well. So that was kind of cool. I was like, sure, I'll do that. Um, and then the rest of the game then, um, 
I just kept putting lots and lots of pressure on his list, kept, kept moving forward. Um, and he, he had lots of warriors and pyrovores down one side of the table, but without the hive guard and without the hive tyrant support, I managed to, um, and it was a hold two, hold three mission. So I managed to zero primary him, uh, for I think two or three, um, three, two or three turns of the game, which is a really like big pivotal point in terms of scoring. Oh, yeah. So Again, in that one, I scored uh, 97. And, you know, Tyler was a great opponent. We had a nice game. Um, and so it was a finished on 97-47. Cool. Uh, and then, so then, now you made the top cut. Day three starts, um, and you're playing into uh, David Hetherington and his uh, High Fleet Leviathan list, which looked like it was pretty much a copy-paste net list. I mean, yeah. Malice, it's, as far as, uh, you know, two harpies and fly, uh, a winged hive tyrant, a walking hive tyrant, lots of tyrant guard, lots of large creatures. Yeah. In, in really sort of leaning into that, uh, Leviathan can't be wounded on a one, two or three or four, whatever, uh, one, two or three, sorry. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, interesting game, this one. Um, I think David, because was just unaware of what my army could do um, and unfortunately let me charge his Maliceptor turn one with the Death Company. Ouch. Got a little too excited to try to get all those mortal wounds out from the Maliceptor and yeah, he, it. he tried to screen using warriors but didn't quite do it effectively enough so therefore that I could put enough models in combat uh, using the one inch rule providing I base all his warriors. So I had to sacrifice charging the warriors um, knowing I'd lose them in return, but mean meant I could put enough models uh, within an inch of the Maliceptor and, you know, moving around. Um, and it was a, sh- a sort of shorter, it was the long deployment um, in terms of the board, board width, so it's not too far for me to move. Um, so yeah, turn one, I picked up a Maliceptor with the Death Company and then based all of his, um, all of his warriors. And then with Armor of Contempt, I think I may have lost one Death Company, proc uh, the five plus Furno Pain, uh, so I'd based all his warriors that stopped them from doing a retrieve Nackmund, stopped them from moving onto the objective in, you know, near his deployment zone. Um, and then allowed me to control his objective, which was one of the uh, mission parameters on that one. So I was scoring quite heavily quite early on. Um, and then from, you know, from then on, um, he uh, proceeded to shoot me a lot. Um, I moved my entire army into the center of the table. Um, and then in my next turn, I killed his Maliceptor. Sorry, I killed his harpy with a unit of Sangard, um, and just basically focused on killing all of his scoring units from whether they were ravagers to warriors. Just really focusing on that, and I threw away my apothecary to get me my uh, to deny him any primary points, and uh, again stopped him from scoring those for uh, the first two turns. So he he was zeroed on those. Um, but I think the the biggest the point there for for David when he, he decided that I th- I had the, you know, this game, I'm not going to score anything, was I did a really cool um, you know, useful tool in the combat phase where I was in combat with a, a hive tyrant and then also a unit of warriors. And what he had done was fought with the hive tyrant. I pulled a model, the closest model that was based away out of combat because he obviously had died. Um, and then what that allowed me to do when I fought was consolidate, sorry, pile in towards the closest enemy model, keeping the warrior closer. And therefore, when I consolidated, I could consolidate towards the warriors, meaning in which 
I could fight on the hive tyrant, but move in consolidate outside of an inch, uh, meaning that the sanguinary guard then could basically get out of combat uh, when they needed to in the next turn. And that was kind of sealed the game really. So um, yeah, that, that was that game. And I finished on 97 42. Cool. And then uh, the next game was, uh, was your last game you played against uh, Jesse Sell, who um, was the, uh, ended up winning the whole thing. And Jesse from watching the, the, the whole stream game seemed like an absolute gentleman of a player. Um, and he had a very cool um, and, and, you know, again, off meta list with his uh, sisters, his bloody Rose detachment. Yeah, it was it, Jesse was at first of all, a really stand up, uh, decent guy. Um, we, we spoke at length about, you know, he used to be really good friends with Jeff Robinson, um, who I believe was the last winner of the BAO um, and lifted the belt that they had. Um, and obviously I'd met Jeff at the LGT and we became quite good friends due to our uh, sheer love of lifting. So uh, we kind of reminisced about that, which was awesome. Um, and again, we had a fantastic game. It really was great. He was a really nice opponent. Uh, we had a laugh the whole way through. Um, you know, he was he's about as sarcastic and dry sense of humour as I am. So uh, we certainly had that in common. Um, and yeah, turn one, um, I can remember joking with him. I was like, um, I don't know if I should go for the safe play or the stream play. So I went for the stream play. I was like, look, I'm on, I'm playing on stream. Let's make it entertaining. Um, I knew I probably shouldn't have done it, but I went for it anyway. And it did pay off. I did kill Morvian Val turn one with five death company models. Yeah. And, uh, and right there, a lot of the, the commentary, I know you didn't, you didn't watch cause you were busy playing, but the, the commentary, um, at that point on, on Twitch was just, well, Jesse's up a creek. He's, it's going to be really hard for him to come back from here. Um, and then there was an interesting slash really unfortunate interaction um, with his Paragon Warsuits. And for anybody that watched the stream game or probably heard about it after the fact, if you want to go through that and just explain what happened and that it wasn't Jesse cheating. It was just a, you know, a misplayed rule. Yeah. So it comes to my attention. Um, I checked my phone to check the time to see how we were doing. Um, and I had a text message. And the text message said um, that the stratagem that was used couldn't be used, basically. Um, and at, the, at this point, I was not sure what to do. I was unsure whether I should say anything um, because it was it was really big in terms of uh, how how it interacted the table. Um, so what the strat? I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll go over what the stratagem does in in, in its implications. And then I'll t- tell you kind of how I decided to uh, go about the, the, resolu- the resolution of it. So it's a stratagem in which on the charge or when your unit of Paragon Warsuits charges, you can use this stratagem. So then every four to hit counts as an additional hit. So you get exploding fours. So if you roll one four, it counts as two hits. So basically if you roll five hits, you get 10 hits, so on and so forth. Yeah. Now, and this is this is just so everybody knows this is a strat from the Vigilus uh Warzone book that was the for the Bloody Rose expansion. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Um so what happened was I charged in uh, my unit of seven sanguinary guard into a into the unit of Paragon Warsuits. Um and unfortunately for me, um, and probably Jesse as well at this stage, I had he spiked his saves. Um and it was kind of a he was left with a Paragon Warsuit with one wound left. So what happened was he then used the stratagem um, and I'm minus one to hit. So he's hitting on fours. Um, 
but used the stratagem to mean all of those fours that did hit counted as two extra hits. And I lost six sanguinary guard models. Now me losing those six sanguinary guard models meant that I had to spend two CPs in order to auto pass morale because there's no guarantee I'll save it. And obviously that was one of my oath of moment points. Um, so I spent the two CPs cause I lost six. And then, um, after that, probably about five minutes later during one of the combat, you know, one of the other combats we were resolving, I, got, I saw this text message. Now the stream as it stands isn't meant to interact with the players. Okay. Um, and I was unsure what to do because essentially I've received information I shouldn't have received. And I, I decided during my combat phase, I was a little bit tilted, you know, just in terms of, I wasn't saying anything. Um, I just gone a little bit quiet. I was kind of considering my next action in terms of how, you know, the best way to resolve this. And anyway, in, uh, Jesse's next movement phase, um, no, that was it. He, he did all his combats and everything else, uh, in his turn. Um, and I and Jesse said, I'm just going to get a drink of water. So I said, to, uh, I said, I'll come with you. Uh, and I said, I said to him quietly, Hey Jesse, just say, so you know, um, I looked at my phone and I saw a text message to say that, um, basically the, the strategy we used, I, apparently you can only do it when you charge. And obviously I charged and, and Jesse went, I am so sorry if that is the case. So we checked it. It was correct. That that's the right interaction. Um, so I knew it wasn't intentional at all. And I'd already said to Jesse and Jesse immediately said, what do you want to do? Do you want some sanguinary guard back? Do you want to redo it? Whatever. And I said, look, we've gone way beyond it. I shouldn't have received that information technically. So what we'll do is going forward. Uh, I said, I've already decided how we're going to play this out. We're going to play as if um, we're just going to play on. Okay. Just uh, if you use the stratagem again, just make sure you obviously do it on the charge. Um, it, to which point he said, or well, only works on sanguinary, um, on uh, the Paragon war suits and they were all dead anyway by this point. So um, I was happy with that. I'd made my decision. Um, and Jesse was a, an absolutely stand up opponent about it. Uh, apologized, you know, a couple of times, you know, it, it, you know, about it. And, um, ultimately I still, to this day, believe that was the right way to handle that situation because I shouldn't have received that information. I wouldn't have known any differently anyway. Um, it wasn't, you know, in, in, in intentional by Jesse. And what we want to do guys is Sometimes you need to give your opponent the benefit of the doubt. It's really, really important you do that. The game is, is, is obviously complex. We are going to make mistakes. There's no such thing as a perfect game of 40K. Um, and we can't pick and choose when we, um, you know, take action on, upon it. But what you can do is, you know, make a decision on how you want to go about resolving those situations. And ultimately, you always want to win with dignity, right? Um, and I believe we both did. You know, Jesse played some fantastic plays and ended up winning the game 1981. Uh, sorry, 1989. So there's one point in it. Um, it was such a close game. And I, do you know what? I genuinely wish Jesse the best of luck for the final. I, I said to him, look, I, I wasn't sure of Michael's result, if he was even going to be in it. And I said, look, I really hope you go on and to win the event. You're a fantastic opponent. You played out your skin in this game. You're right up against it from the start. I made a couple of mistakes. Um, and if a couple of roles could have easily gone the, a different way, um, and the result could have been different. Um, but I was happy with that because I didn't want to start changing the course of the game because information that I received via text message, because if I wasn't playing on stream, I wouldn't have known any differently. And that was the way that I wanted to play it out. Um, so you kind of sometimes have to, uh, 
what's what's the expression, Dave? Like uh, die on the hill or something that you stand upon or something? Uh, yeah, you have to choose what hill you want to stand on. Uh, you know, is this the hill you're going to die on? And and I mean, everybody who knows you knows that the hill you're going to die on is the sportsmanship hill, not the should I have gotten two more points from three models I lost two rounds ago. Yeah. So, um, no, I, 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 you know, I watched the game. I was a little, you know, just because it's obvious on stream, it was a little hard to tell what exactly happened. Um, so that's why I wanted to talk about it today. And, you know, just to be clear, I mean, so many of the abilities in the game say, you know, when, when you chart, when the unit charges is charged or heroically intervenes. And this particular stratagem, I, I, I actually pulled out the book afterwards and, and, after you and I talked and read it and it does say when the unit charges. So it, it's only, it only works for paragons when they are the ones charging. And in this turn, in this instance, you had charged them. So it shouldn't have worked, but Jesse probably in his head thought it said charges gets charged or heroically advantage or something along those lines, which is a totally understandable thing. Anybody would have done that. And yep. you know, it is what it is. It's, you know, he, he didn't obviously do it intentionally. He, he watched, you know, he, Having watched it, he he played a really good game. He really fought back after you took out more of involved first turn, and you know you had him on the ropes the entire game. And it wasn't really until that last turn that you know it really um, it came out that he won by you know a single point. So it was an amazing game to watch. So yeah, uh, and then Jesse went on to to uh, play Michael, and he won that game uh, eighty five to eighty, I think, against yeah. Mike's uh, Hydra list. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, no. So I, you know, I, hopefully we see Jesse at other events, uh, you know, soon. And because I'd like to 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 talk to him about his play, and uh, you know, I know Shauna was was trapped because she was cheering for you the whole time, but also she's like, oh, but you know, sisters. he's playing sisters. Yeah, yeah. So well, me, me and Jesse uh, yeah. have already we've already organized uh, when he comes to the UK. Hopefully, get him here. We play on stream and stuff. So uh, you know, like I said to him, me and him, I think we've made a fe- a friend for life in each other. So. Um, at the end of the day, that is the most important thing. Um, and obviously a huge congratulations to him for winning the event. I couldn't be, um, you know, more, uh, honestly pleased for him. Um, and we, you know, we had our post game interview chat about it and everything I said, I was completely genuine. Um, what a fantastic game. So I thought it was just easier to clear it up from my perspective as well, obviously. Um, because I know there was a few comments in the chat about, you know, stuff in, what I don't want to, what I didn't want to happen is things go on Reddit or, you know, people, you know, start to go on a witch hunt or something because somebody used a stratagem, you know, maybe not how it was intended, but I didn't know differently. You know, anybody what, you know, unless you've used that stratagem before yourself, whatever, um, I didn't even think to question it because I thought, sure. Yeah. Why wouldn't you better use that stratagem? Um, you know, so it, it could have been quite easily me misplaying that stratagem if I was using the Paragon warsuits, if the roles were flipped there. So, um, sometimes you want to treat people how you, what you, you, you hope to be treated as well in the future. Um, and to this point, um, yeah, I think we handled that the right way. Um, and certainly a lot of the community felt that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, it looked like, and so it looked like you, it, it, and it sounds like everything was handled the way it should have been, which is to say with sportsmanship and fair play and didn't try to worry about the final score, just play a good game. And as you said, you ended up with a friend for life out of it. And, you know, and the, the, the majority of people who watched uh, on whether it was in person or on stream, got to see a really good game, got to see two masters of the game play out of their skin, you know, like pro pros and really have a great back and forth. So 
it was a great game. And it was, you know, it was without saying, without sounding cliche, I'm going to sound cliche, which was everybody won getting to watch that game. Yeah. So I, I would, I would have said it was probably the game of the tournament. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is to take nothing away from Mike or no. Chris or anybody else that played at the event, but that was the way that it came down and the fact that it was a one point differential um, was, yeah, it was, it was definitely the, the, from what I saw on stream, it was the game of the, of the event. And uh, you know, or at least was certainly probably in the top three, you know, depending on how other people view things, but sure. Uh, all right. So we got to talk about my favorite unit that I, as soon as I saw that you'd put them into your list, I was just absolutely stoked. I love assault centurions. I love the models. I love what they're supposed to do. I hate that they don't have core, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, what was the final kill count for the centurions? Okay. So the final kill count was 20 blood letters and two chaos knights. It was a Wraith Lord, three Shining Spears, a Solitaire and uh, Autark, 10 Guardians and a Farseer. Then in game three, it was, this is ridiculous, two Hive Tyrants, six Biovores and five Raveners. Oof. That was a big, that was a big one for him. Um, then in the next game, it was the 10 Ravagers. So when the next, when I'm going to interrupt you here, when, when the next points increase comes out and the next points update comes out and Assault Centurions go up 15 points per model, I'm blaming you. No, it's, <laughs> it, it will say Assault Centurions plus 15 yes. points just for Steve. Yes. Blame Steve. Only when Steve plays them. Yeah. yeah. Um, no. and okay, then, so game four, you had how many? Uh, I believe they killed 10 Ravagers. Okay. Uh, and then I think a bit of a slower game for them, but they got to get across the table because uh, it was the right. old long one. Um, game five, uh, that was against the, I think that's against the, or maybe game four, whatever. I've kind of lost track of games at this point. Game four, this was against the Eldar. They killed 20 Dire Avengers, five Banshees, and nine bikes. Ouch. Good game for them. Uh, yeah. Game five uh, was just, I think five Harlequin bikes, two transports, uh, and 10, um, troop. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, game six. I'm not even sure I kept counting game six, actually what they actually killed. Um, and then, um, no, that was the extra ravages. Sorry. That was all the ravages that they killed in game, is game six. I got game six in game four confused. Um, and then game seven, they just died. They didn't do anything. No. They got shot out by an Exocrina Harpy and um, Hive Guard, whatever they are, Hive Tyrants. Yeah. Yeah. But, All right. Um, and, then, and then they did, well, you saw what they did on stream as well um, against the, yeah. the sisters. They, they didn't really do a huge amount, actually. I probably lost them. I, I, looking back at the game with Jesse, I made a couple of key mistakes. Um, and if I wasn't playing on stream, I don't think I would have made those mistakes. Um, I, I kind of went for an all aggressive, uh, like I said, play rather than the conservative game that I would normally play with Blood Angels. Um, so they didn't have their best game. I should have held for, held them in the centre for another turn. That would have got me two more points of over moment and I would have won the game. So it was actually my own fault for pushing too aggressive because I thought, I saw Celestine, I was like, right, I'm going after her. She's, she's, I'm going to take her down. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, uh, she stood back up. So And then got absolutely munched by Repentia. Um, so yeah, that was my own fault. I threw him away too early in that game. 
Yeah. Yeah, I was actually watching that play, Sean. I was like, maybe I need to put Repentia back in my list. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're fantastic in the combat matchup because obviously my army is just combat. So providing right. that they're in a Rhino, I can't even shoot them. Whereas in a lot of other matchups, the Repentia can get shot. You know, the Rhino gets shot down much easier and then whatever's inside gets shot. But for me, I don't have a huge amount of shooting. So Repentia are really good against Blood Angels, especially at minus four AP, two damage. They're really good. And fight on death. Yeah. 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 Those are straight speed brain killers. They absolutely are. So that's my BAO roundup. And now I just need to um, literally, as soon as we finish recording, I'm off to UK Games Expo uh, to go and hang out with Siege, um, do some meet and greets, do some 40K, learn how to play um, at UK Games Expo. So I'm really excited for that. But I want to say a massive thank you to um, everybody at BAO who came to say hello to me. We had so many nice comments, so many nice people to meet. Um, It's fantastic to see and meet everybody. The referees did an incredible job. Um, the stream team from Dice Check to Val Hevelfinger, you absolute legends. I love you all so much. Kicker, Leo, setting up the entire event. You did an amazing work. And also um, all the refs as well, from Adam to Keith. Yeah, you, you are fantastic. So BAO, thank you so much. You were awesome. A huge congratulations to Jesse, Mike, Israel, all the, all the winners. And also Paul as well, who came, who got the, th- who got the, he came fourth place, but got the uh, third place, uh, award um again a massive congratulations to you all is an absolute pleasure and honor to share that uh with you all as well so thank you so much and dave thanks so much for your time today mate yeah no problem man uh before we get out of here um what's give me one one or two top lessons you learned uh that took out of this tournament besides you know tearing and suck um i learned that uh, dignity is everything keeping your um dignity and your sort that, that it's absolutely key. You you can't win the game if you know you're you're going to sacrifice that. Um, and I think no matter what happens, uh, there was a couple of there was one game in particular uh, where probably my opponent may have uh, kind of lost their rag a little bit throughout the whole time. Um, I mean, you know, polite, professional, um, calm, and that is the most important thing you can do. Um, and I think that's really really important is never kind of lower yourself to maybe somebody else's gameplay. Um, and I, and I think that's really important so you can stay level headed and continue. So ultimately, yeah, the, uh, they're probably the biggest key lessons I took away from the event. Cool. All right, man. Uh, so then before, and before we get out of here, uh, let's go to our battle ready segment with, uh, James from Siege Studios. Okay, James, you ready? Yeah. I've got another one for you now. So I've been doing a little bit of weathering recently and I've been shown some different techniques. Now there's like weathering powders, we've got sponges, we've got, I don't know, the, the hairspray technique. What's a si- very simple way of adding a little bit of battle damage, but not too much where it just literally looks like you've just covered your model in brown. So uh, yeah, what, what's your tips for battle damage? First things first, before we talk about like sort of techniques and things like that, one thing to, to, for all of you listening to, to really take into mind is that battle damage is telling a story. Okay, you're telling a narrative of what's happened to that vehicle, that building, that armor, whatever the case may be that the damage is going to be on. So every mark, every little ding, scratch thing is is part of a narrative of that object. Um, The second thing before I go into detail about techniques and things, and I I really will get to the juicy stuff quite quickly, but is to real life reference is super important. We're surrounded by it. You can go to a, a building site. You can go to a, a, a industrial estate. You can see it on vans when you're in a parking car park. There'll be rust on them. 
have a look at those things and don't be scared to take photos and have a have a reference on your on your phone a folder that's just literally weathering or damage reference it's really helpful um because if you want to paint something that's like that you look at something that has that on it and you'll be way closer to making it and selling it as as real with that being said um Steve, you mentioned a really good thing, which is obviously sponges. They're really, really good to get uh, to get um, weathering on quite quickly. Um, you don't want to be sitting there hammering away at it with a sponge. You want to be very subtle with it and add on a very sort of um, soft approach to doing it to gradually add little specks and, and, and areas of interest. Um, for colours, we want if depending on the on the armor colour, I'd always recommend doing a highlight of whatever the armor colour is. So let's just say we're doing. Um, uh, 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 let's just say a Calgar, not Calgar blue, let's just say we're doing a Cantor blue vehicle. What I would then use is something like, for example, um, I'd probably recommend using like Calador Sky because um, that's a highlight. Now, every bit of every chip or, or notch on the paint is going to have uh, a highlight of the paint. So you do that first. And, it, and then when you when you then get your dark color, so say, for example, your Rhinox Hide or your Mournfang Brown or whatever, you, your, your objective is to sponge less of that on top of the previous color and what that will do is it will give you like a two-tone kind of like car, uh, comic book kind of damage kind of style which is is very realistic in the sense of the way that it, it gives you an instant uh, contrast of colors selling that chipping don't just get brown and then do that all over the model um, i'd always recommend doing a highlight stage of the base coat of that model so if it's red do like a maybe like a, a wild rider red or maybe even a fire dragon bright um if you're doing blue like pick a brighter blue pick a brighter green and do that first then within that that you do with a sponge then do the, the 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 brown but just be really refined and subtle with it and your aim being imagine you had a circle that was created by that or a little mark which essentially is a rough circle you want to try and get that brown in the center of it okay uh, that, and you just really want to be gentle when you're applying with a sponge. You don't want to be hammering away at it like you're trying to break the model or something. Just really gentle, soft. Practice on the back of your on the back of your hand, or maybe on a little bit of plastic card or something like that, to just get the, get a feel for the pressure that you need to be applying when you're doing the sponging. Okay, nice. So I'm thinking like a fried egg then. So you've got light around the edges, dark in the middle. Correct. Exactly. That's it. And and ideally, you want the, the fried egg is a brilliant way to look at it. Uh, the, and really, what you want to be doing is is trying to get that brown that's in the middle as tight to the previous color. So leaving a very thin uh, surround of that highlight stage. The thinner that highlight stage is, the more realistic it will look. The thicker it is, then the more cartoony and unrealistic it will look. Um, and it will just give you an instant two-tone contrast on the model, which will help sell the illusion of damage or weathering on the surface much easier. Right. Okay. And let's say you want to do scratches. I'm assuming you'd do the same things. So you do a line of like your lighter color, and then inside that line, you'd paint your brown. Yeah. Think of it like think of it like um, yeah. So uh, with scratches, don't just do them perfectly st uh, horizontal. Uh, yeah. I would always offset them slightly. Um, it's always important to do that because it just sells the randomness. Uh, try and do every scratch different angle because then that way you add in variation and uh, not. Uh, it doesn't look like it's been cookie cutted on there by a factory. Um, when I say within, it's a little bit different with scratches. Um, your highlight line is always underneath because that's the lip of paint catching the light and your damage is always above it. So it's always highlight color of the armor below and then your damage line is above it. And I'd always try to butt them next to each other. Okay, If you can paint one line, half the, the, the damage line half on the previous line that you've done, 
that will help you to be a bit tighter with your lines. No, no joke. Painting straight lines is one of the hardest things to get consistently accurate. It's just it's all about brush control and, and, and essentially freehand, which is what you're doing. Um, so yeah, so I'd always recommend that you uh, that you just literally try and practice first before you do it on the surface of a model. But yeah, damage uh, highlight beneath, damage above. Just try and top top and tail it so that the uh, so that the the damage line is directly above touching the, uh, the 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 highlight line. Okay, cool. So give us then, like, is there a time when we definitely should kind of do this battle damage uh, versus when we shouldn't? I mean, obviously, Blood Angels, there's never going to be a chip on their armor, is it? So you just wouldn't do it on a Blood Angel. No, exactly. <laughs> no. Uh, look, if you want to battle damage, yet, the Blood Angels, that's perfectly fine. But 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 again, I, I see 40K as very much like science fiction historical modeling. Um, it has such a depth of lore and background and narrative to it that you, it's like you wouldn't paint Ultramarines pink, for example, you know, unless I suppose you wanted pink Ultramarines. But the reality is, is that it, it has... Um, it has a, a narrative and background which which you, you should adhere to because it's it's that's what you fall in love with is the IP and the background and the, and the armies and things. So so yeah, just take if you're doing Death Guard, then obviously you want to weather the living hell out of them. If you're doing Iron Warriors, then weather the living hell out of them. But certain chapters, certain armies, certain factions perhaps wouldn't wouldn't be like that. And I think you just need to take that into consideration. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks, James, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. All right, that is it for this week. Uh, Steve, thank you for uh, you know representing the team at, at the Bay Area Open. Thanks for Frontline Gaming for putting on another great event. Uh, and then uh, don't forget that the Atlantic City Open is coming up this month. Um, uh, you know, you won't be there. I won't be there. I'm not sure. I think uh, Matt Laura, one of our coaches, uh, may be going. Uh, I'm not sure about Nick. Some of the other um, American uh, VT coaches might be there. I'm not sure. But either way, it's going to be another great frontline gaming event. So go check it out. Um, and then uh, Lone Star Open is coming up. I will be there. Shauna will be there. I think a couple other people will be there from VT. Uh, we're hoping that there will be another um, VT workshop there. So um, get your tickets for Lone Star Open as well. And yes, I'm saying all this and no frontline is not a sponsor yet. I'm just saying it because they put on great events. So they do I like competitive play. Just go and go to a, go to an FLG event. They're, they're really great events. Uh, and then, uh, so next week, Steve and I will be back. Uh, there won't, won't be any tournaments or any other major issues or shouldn't be, um, to interrupt us finally coming back and finishing up that Imperial Knights, uh, codex review when we'll do all the data sheets and strats. Uh, so that's it until then, this is Dave Colmel for Steven box saying for blood and for the emperor. Have a great week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.